And, and really what Jesus wants us to do is not only know the truth, and he is truth personified, but he wants us to live out that truth, and the written word is God's guidance for us to, to live out our faith. And if you're on that journey where you still haven't decided about whether Jesus is the truth for you, we pray in the midst of all that we do today that, that you might take that step to commit your life to, to Jesus as, as the one who is the truth as well as the way and the life. Uh, but we're in Luke chapter 12, and so I invite you to get to that section. And as I was thinking about this morning, and this morning we're going to see Jesus talk about the truth about money. And money is one of those topics that some people just hate to talk about, whether it's in your own family uh, relationships, and it's kind of a hidden theme. Uh, you don't really, you spend it, but you don't talk a whole lot about it, or whether it's in the church as well. But Jesus speaks about that in the passage we're going to look at this morning. But I was thinking about this morning, and I was just kind of struck with the fact that we're about halfway through, and we haven't really kind of got everybody up to speed. As you think about the Bible, the Bible is is written in a context. It's, it's one of many books. The Bible's one book, but among the many books, there are 66 of them. And so I want to spend a few minutes just giving you kind of a background of this. As you think about the Bible, the Bible uh, starts at the beginning. Isn't that a good place to begin, at the very beginning? And so God launches out and just what all happened and how did it happen. In the beginning, God, what? Created. So you begin with creation. God starts it all. It wasn't by accident. It was also all by design. And so God began it. And when he began it, he began it not only good, but very good as he brought us into this world and he created us in his image. But he gave us the opportunity to respond to him in a positive way or a negative way, and we chose the negative way, and we rebelled against him. And so the other great theme is God began it all with creation, and then there was a fall. And that fall resulted in our sin or rebellion or rejection of his plan for our life. And we we went after that which was not true, went after that which is false, and that's what the sin is all about. It's rejection of God's plan for us. But in that very beginning book, the, the book of Genesis, which really means beginnings, then we see the, the story unfolded in terms of the history of man. And some have helped us understand history by kind of dividing that word in half. It's his, what, story. And his story is all about God doing everything possible to bring us back to him. And some will summarize that with, with reconciliation. He's reconciling us who are far from him. We are, at, we are at war opposition to him. And he brings us into relationship with him. And he does it culminating in bringing his son, uh, God the Son, into this world to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, which separates us from God, and gives us the opportunity to be brought back into right relationship with him. So you have the beginning, creation, then you have the fall, which is the whole problem we, we experience in this world today, and then you have Jesus coming to reconcile us to himself. And there's a, there's a beginning, and then most stories have a beginning and a what? An end. And this end endures because the end is God restoring all things back to his original plan. When God began it, it was good, it was very good, and right now it's, it's okay, but it's not good or very good. We can see as much problems in the world as we can see things that are good. And there's going to come a time when those questions we all ask, why does God allow good things, ha bad things to happen to? How come we don't ever ask, why does God allow bad things to happen to bad people? But it's always good people. But the reality is none of us are good enough to deserve all God's goodness until he restores everything back to his original plan. So we got creation, fall, reconciliation, and then restoration. But then as you look at the Gospel of Luke, you say, well, what, what's its story? What, what contribution does it give to us to understand 
God's plan unfolded to us in this, in this book that we call the Bible. Well, I want to give a little bit of background on that. And if you ever watch Sesame Street or you watch it with your kids, anybody remember Sesame Street? Well, today's message, or at least the intro to it, is, is given to you by the letter B. So everything's going to be related to the letter B as far as kind of the, the background of this. And so what I want to do is, is give you a, a, a background of, of Luke on Jesus. And I just, uh, I just saw the other day that they're going to have another uh, religious movie, Christian movie, about the life of the Apostle Paul. And it's going to be seen through the eyes of Luke as he's trying to gather the stories. And basically, Luke wrote two books. He wrote Luke 1 and Luke 2. We know Luke 2 as the Acts, the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the Holy Spirit, and really describing what happened in the life of the Apostle Paul. But before he took on Paul to kind of describe he and some of the, of the other apostles, their story, he brought on the story of Jesus. And so as we study a gospel, a gospel is simply good news. It's the good news. You came here to, to hear good news, not bad news. Uh, it's, it's the story of Jesus. So it's, it's, it's just the, the background of Luke. He's, he's, he's going to teach us about Jesus. And what he's going to do, he's going to give us a biography on Jesus. And that's really what the Gospel of Luke is about. But as we think about the bio biography of, of Luke on Jesus, I would summarize it this way. There, there are big truths about Jesus and big truths from Jesus. So if we're to divide this book in half, and there's 24 chapters, you divide by half, that means we're in chapter what? Okay, you should all be able to answer that question. <laughs> 24 divided by 2, we're in chapter what? Chapter 12. And so we're, we, we have talked about big truths about Jesus, and we're kind of summarizing here. And, and then we're going to be hearing big truths from Jesus. And it wasn't we hadn't heard some truths from Jesus in the first 12 chapters, but really we see Jesus uh, turning the corner here, where before you could say dramatically he was revealing who he was, and, and then we see him at the end really revealing what he wants to say to us, and then culminating in, in all that he came here for the crucifixion, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But as we think about the big truths from Jesus, you would, you would assume some simple things here is it began with his birth. And the reason I'm beginning with his birth is because it begins with the letter B. I just want to make sure you're still with me. All right. And so what we have in Luke is in chapter 1 we have the birth of Jesus, actually chapters 1 and 2. And then we, we go from the birth of Jesus to the boyhood of Jesus. We don't have a whole lot about that, but we knew that Jesus grew in physically and socially and, and spiritually uh, in favor of God and man. And, and so we, we see him growing up. Uh, not a whole lot about that because that's not the most significant part of his life. But we see his birth, we see his boyhood, and then we see the baptism of Jesus. And the baptism of Jesus is the identification with Jesus in the plan of God that why he came here. And so he, he does it to fulfill all righteousness for, for him to identify with why he came. And then we have the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. Yeah, Jesus came here to do something. He came to, to, as later on, it says in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. I have to tell this little mini story here. Do you ever get one of those things that they promise you you can never lose your keys if you just kind of, it's, there's a thing called Orbit, you know, and I actually downloaded it, put it on my phone, and, but I forgot to figure out how you're supposed to use it, couldn't find my keys yesterday, and so I'm scrambling around to find that which was lost, and, and there's that desperate feeling, I can't get where I want to go until I find those keys, and, and I want you to know that's how God looks at us. 
is that we can't get to where we want to go until we're found. And the reality is God is not lost, we're lost. And that's a humbling truth, isn't it? None of us are in that position where we can come before God and say, God, you're lucky to have me. No, we are just so blessed that God was willing to search for us. And there are a lot of things I lose that I don't search for because they're not that important. But when it's important, I do whatever I can to, to find what I've lost. And God has done everything he can to find what was lost, and that was us. And so we have the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, and you could say this is the truth about Jesus because we see Jesus in action. And even though we see predominantly later on the manifestation of him being the master teacher, you see some reasons why we ought to believe. And really, as some have looked at this, this gospel of Luke, this, this biography of, of Luke on Jesus, it's not only telling the details about Jesus, but it's really trying to convince us it's true. And that's why it's knowing the truth about Jesus. Why should you believe just because someone like me comes up here and preaches at you like a talking head, you know, on, on TV or radio and say, well, I think I'll believe what he believes. That, that's not why you ought to believe, because I believe it. What you ought to believe about it, if, if God became a man, what would he be like? Well, he'd probably say things no one else has said before. He would say it in such a compelling way that he just grabbed people's hearts. Even people who didn't want to hear him, they were compelled to listen to him because he was just penetrating their lives. And, and so Jesus is the master teacher. And after he would speak, often in the commentary on it was that they were amazed at what he had to say. But not only that, why you ought to believe, and this is part of the the biography of Luke on Jesus is not only can tell us about what actually happened, but to convince us that it actually did happen, and this is not just some hoax of history. Not only was he a master teacher, which is what you would expect if God became a man, true, he, you would also expect that he would have some kind of credentials, particularly if he was the promised one, the Messiah. And so you see through chapters 4 through 10 that Jesus fulfilled the credentials of being the promised one. And, and they began looking at whether it was at his birth and, and where he was born, and what happened right after he was born, that he had to go to Egypt, and all, all these different things. You, you see Jesus fulfilling the credentials of the one who was promised. He had to be of a, a certain bloodline, of a certain family, the family of Judah. And, and you begin to see, if you look at that, it eliminates every one of us here just at his birth. And, and then every other way, he, he convinced us he was the one who was promised to come. But not only do you see him as a master teacher and the one who fulfilled the credentials, the Old Testament fulfillment of prophecy, but you see him as the, the miracle worker. He, he did things that no one else had ever done. There were some things that people were, were kind of amazed at that other people might do, but, but when Jesus did it, no one had ever done it before. He would bring sight to the blind. He, he would be able to, to heal people who could not speak, who could not convey what was going on and why it was there. And, and he was able to heal them. And so you, you see in the midst of the Gospel of Luke, kind of the whole story of the Bible played out is that, is that Jesus came to, to rescue people who were lost. People whom God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had created in their image. And, and he was rescuing them. But there were people who would hear and those people who would not hear. And he would put it this way. He was here to hear, let him hear. And he who has eyes to see, let him see. And, and there were those who rebelled and rejected the message of Jesus and Jesus himself. And, and so as we looked at chapter 11, which bleeded into chapter 12, 
not only did you have the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, you have the battles with religious leaders and rejection of Jesus. And, and the ones who should have responded most profoundly rejected him. They had the most light, and they turned away from the light. And that often happens even within a place like America, where we, we can hear about Jesus every day of the week, whether it be through radio or TV or churches. You can, there's all kinds of literature you can read, podcasts, whatever it might be. And often people hear about Jesus, but they, they really reject him because they don't follow him. And so there was going to be judgment upon those who had rejected him, particularly the nation of Israel. And it would be illustrated in 70 A.D. as nationally they were wiped out from the homeland, and 135 as well. But God was not finished with Israel because God is bringing them back, and we can see that happening physically today, but spiritually is when it's going to change everything as God redeems his people. So as we begin the the Gospel of Luke, we, we see halfway through that, that he reveals who he is as a master teacher, as a one who fulfills all the credentials of being the Messiah, as the miracle worker. But there's rejection in such a heinous way that they, they could not deny he was a miracle worker because they could see it. We have to look back, and we, we believe by faith, not by sight, but they could have believed by sight. I mean, look, at, look, look what Jesus was doing. But the hardness of their heart, they say, you don't do this by the power of the Holy One, but the power of the evil one. You don't do this by the power of God. You do this by the power of Satan. And so he pronounced judgment on those who were the religious leaders of that day. And now in chapter 12, he begins to turn that corner where it's not so much big truths about Jesus, but big truths from Jesus. And, and last week, Bill shared with you kind of Jesus going through some major themes. And, and it, he begins with, I want to teach you about hypocrisy. And I, I want to teach you about um, a fear. And the hypocrisy particularly was kind of like a closure of that, that other part where he reveals the rejection and the rebellion of those who should have known better. And the hypocrisy was, is that they who... Per, portrayed themselves as those who knew the truth, and the reality is they did not know the truth. They portrayed themselves as, as those who were rightly related with God, and they were as far away from God as, as you could imagine. They had some good deeds on the outside, but if you looked closer, you, you realize that they had, they had that which was within their soul that was spreading disease, spiritual disease that not only had captured them, but was now being spread like a virus or a bacteria. And it wasn't flu season in terms of physically, but it was a spiritual flu season. And that's the hypocrisy, that's the leaven you have to run from. Teaching that would draw you away from God rather than to God. And then he, he gave that sober challenge. If you're going to have fears in this world, you better recognize who you ought to really fear. Not, not fear what, be fearful of what people think, but what God thinks. Because there, there are people in this world who can do you physical harm, but, but only God is the one who will bring judgment that will last forever. And part of understanding the good news that's in the gospel and throughout the scriptures, it realized there's a corresponding bad news. Jesus came to rescue us, but if somehow we remain somewhat 
apathetic or lethargic in our pursuit of Jesus, that we could find ourselves out of God's plan rather than in God's plan. And so he challenges. There is a fear that's a healthy fear. And if you're going to fear anyone, reverence and have a sense of awe of God, but recognize he is the one that we're going to be accountable to. He is our judge. So as he leaves this very powerful, sobering, challenging truth, all of a sudden someone raises his hand up. Remember in class, you know, the, the, the teacher, professor, whatever, whatever you want to call him, you know, just hammering out information, preparing people for the final exam, and, and all of a sudden someone raises their hand and they ask the dumbest question you can imagine. Well, that's what we're going to see here in a moment. After Jesus, he says, you, you, better, you better not let any leaven, you better not let any, any bacteria come into your heart and soul that will destroy you spiritually. You ought to fear God, not man, not even the evil one. And then all of a sudden, someone raises a hand in the back of the class and says this. Someone in the crowd said to him, this is now verse 13, Luke chapter 12. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Wait a minute, that, you're not on subject here. We're not talking about finances. We're not talking about inheritances. We're, we're talking about the final exam. You, there's only one question on the exam. What are you going to do with Jesus? Oh, can you tell me a little bit about some fi financial issues I have? <laughs> I, mean, Jesus is, I mean, Jesus is never surprised by anything, but he, he's, he's kind of, he's kind of uh, uh, I don't know, ticked off is the right word, but you know, he, he just kind of puts him in his place, and he says this, but he said to him, man, and he knew his name, but he said, man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said, look at all the things I've, I've been warning about. Now you're, working up, you're worried about what, what part of the inheritance you're going to get. You better not worry so much about what you have here until you are settled with what you might have over there and up there. Does that make sense? And we're going to hit that in a few moments. And really what he's hitting here is, okay, uh, you've got to understand what's most important. Have you ever heard anyone talk? I often hear this in the sports world when someone's going to go from one team to the next team and, and they're squabbling about the contract and, and usually the player or his agent comes out, well, it's really not about the money. And usually the commentators always say, it's always about the what? The money. And, and, and there is a place for money. God, there's nothing evil in, in essence about money. And we're going to see later, it's the love of money that will consume us. But when, when somehow we think it's all about the money, we've missed it. And, and particularly if somehow we think that we, we can control our, you know, totally our finances. It, it, it's just not going to happen. And our attitude toward money will either set us free or will put us in bondage. Right before I came this morning, Alice was on, on the internet and said, oh, did you, did you hear this story? And uh, when I got to church here, I looked it up a little bit. Uh, there's a family or a couple named Tanner and Nikki. I don't know if you read that early this morning. They spent their entire life savings on buying a boat. They wanted to sail around the world and they want to live in their boat. Their entire life savings. Two days into the purchase of their boat and on the seas, that boat sank. They lost it all. Now, the issue is not whether you buy a boat or not and decide you want to sail around 
the, uh, the world, but the reality is you need to understand that you might lose that boat, right? And now what? And so whatever we have, let, let's be honest, there, there's no guarantees. Did anybody notice what happened in the stock market this week? The biggest point depreciation in the history of Dow Jones. And, and sometimes people can freak out about that. It, it, it went down, I think it was 1,173 points in one day. You know, the earth is crashing, you know. We're all going to be destroyed by the stock market. But part of you looking at perspective, it, you know, it went down hugely in, in the month of January. But if you put a 52-week period over it, the stock market, at least in a year's time, has been up over 18, almost 19%. Even though it went down in a bigger way than we, it's ever happened in the history of Dow Jones. Now, my, my, my play here is not to tell you how to invest or whatever invest, but no matter what happens, you can't control what the markets will do. You can't control if you're going to be out on the seas and the oceans come by way and you sink your, literally sink your boat. You, you can't, you can't decide how long you're going to live and what's going to happen and what you're pursuing. It's all right to pursue it, but don't let it consume you, right? And, and we're going to see this in a moment. So, so Jesus said, I'm not going to be your arbitrator. I'm not going to be your, your, your lawyer that's going to determine how your trust works. But verse 15, he says, and this is the main point, he says this. Then he said, this is Jesus to them. So he's speaking to the man, but he said, I want the rest of you to listen in. And that's, that's kind of the theme that we brought up to. What Jesus is now going to do, we're going to hear big truths from Jesus. He's going to be speaking throughout the next number of chapters about some major themes where we live. And he's going to speak not only to that dumb question that was raised in the class, but he says, okay, since that question got raised, I'll, I'll comment on it. Then he said to them, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. So if you have your outline this morning, let's turn to the second page. Most of the time you guys get ahead of me, but now you can be with me. We're, we're going to look at this, this very simple, straightforward passage in which Jesus decides, okay, I'm going to give you some truths about money. Now, I really struggle with this passage because there's so many things we could share about money that the Bible teaches about money. And even your small groups this morning, we're only going to be touching this the bare, you know, bare what, whatever the bare, what's the bare story, the bare, uh, the very minimum of what we could say about it, whatever that is, okay, uh, but, but we're going to, but I want to give you the main idea is what he's saying here, he says to him, okay, now let me just repeat the verse, he says, you need to beware, you need to be on guard, you need to look up, you need to be careful about this, and be on your guard against every form of of greed. So, so was, and then he says, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Well, what is greed? Well, let me put it this way. Life is not all about money and what is happening to you now. It is not all about you. Now, now the reason I, I said that is because if you back up to his question, the man what he was more concerned about anything else was, okay, what, what portion am I going to get this inheritance? I think somehow I'm going to get less than I think I deserve or at least what I want. And that was consuming him at that moment, wasn't it? It wasn't about the fear of God. It wasn't about somehow some spiritual bacteria destroying him on the inside spiritually. 
It wasn't about where he's going to spend eternity. What it was is, what is happening to me right at this moment? Now, isn't that what we all get tripped up on? I mean, when, when I've lost my keys and I can't find what will get me from point A to point B with my car, it consumes me, doesn't it? And, and sometimes that the, the, the frustration or anger will spew out to the people around me. I don't know about in your house, when I lose my keys, it's not my fault, it's whose fault? Alice's fault. It's, it's got to be Alice's fault, right? And, and if it wasn't Alice's fault, my kids were in my house for any length of time, you know, in the, in the last month, it was their fault. Okay, it, it, it can't be my fault, right? And it just consumes me. Now, I need to find my keys, but, but I, I, need to get, I need to get a grip on myself, right? It, 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 it can't be all important more than anything else. About my relationships with my wife or my kids or whoever else is in my house. Or, or even, even self-flagellation, you know, where I'm just... You, you ever talk to yourself when you do something dumb? Okay, you idiot, you this, and you know. And man, you, you just like give yourself a riot act, right? How can, how can I keep doing the same thing over and over? Why don't I just put my keys in the same place every single time? How come I can't figure out why that orbit doesn't work so I can find my key? Whatever it might be, Okay. And, and all of a sudden, if you were to take a snapshot of my life right now, it's what's happening to me right now that's most important more than anything else throughout the entire world, right? And, and that's what happened with this man who asked the question. He said, well, can, can you figure out what's going to go on with my inheritance? Now, that's important. He, he, you know, there are plenty of verses in Proverbs where, where it talks about leaving things for your family and and being wise about it and not being consumed by it, uh, that was an important thing, but it wasn't the most important thing. And I dare say that th- this next week, many of us are going to have experiences where all of a sudden something that's not that important is going to be all-consuming, right? And, and, and we live in a culture which is always trying to sell us something, right? And it somehow grabs us. You, you're not going to be happy until you get it. And if it's not getting it, maybe there's, there's a project you, you're, you're trying to pursue, and you're not going to be happy until you complete it, whatever it might be. And we need to understand, it's, it's not about what's happening to you right now. It's, hap- it's what's going to be happening to you for eternity. We, we, we get so preoccupied now, we ought to live in the moment. We ought to enjoy the moment. But, but we need to put it in the context of eternity. As someone has said, you know, living now is preparation for the life to come. And if we had that perspective, it would change our attitudes and our actions dramatically. Well, let's move on. Proverbs, I mean, Luke chapter 12, verse 15, I think also has this idea. And I, I've read the passage. Your self-worth is not dependent upon your net worth. And I put it this way. It is who and whose you are, not what and how much you have. Now, this is not a statement from Jesus or other parts of Scripture where, where if you have a lot, somehow there's something wrong with you. Or if you have little, there's something wrong with you. There are periods of time in church history as well as biblical history where it was assumed if somehow you were prosperous that you were more blessed by God than other people. 
No, you're given more responsibility by God than other people when you have more. Uh, and, and you're not being judged by God if you have little. And what we need to understand is what makes this important is who we are. And if, if you cross that line of faith where you become a child of God, who you are is a child of God. It doesn't get any better than that. As the Bible says in the New Testament, you are in Christ. You have all the, the riches that are found in Jesus, and he's, he's put you in his inheritance. That you have your eternity settled. You are part of God's eternal family. We were talking right before the service. Uh, Tony, you know, has his last name is Jones and mine is Johnson. And we could debate, huh? are there more Jones or Johnsons in the world today? If you ever go to the, the store and they look up your name, they, oh, Johnson. Oh, I've got to go through all this list of names. You know, they can't find you because there's too many Johnsons. I'm sure that's it with Jones as well. And, you know, we're part of the Jones family. We're part of the Johnson family. Hey, you know, and, I, and I'm glad to be part of the family I'm in, but you know, what's the greatest family? I'm part of God's family. And that's our identity. It's not in the possessions you have. If you have a lot of them, praise God. If you have very few of them compared to somebody else, praise God, because it's who you are and whose you are. You're God's. You're a child of His. It's not what and how much you have. Whatever you have, you are to be a steward of, to be responsible for, to be diligent about. But your real identity is who you are in Christ. Does that make sense? So as we look at the story, the story about money, the truth about money, number one is it's not all about money. It's really not about what's happening to you now. It's, all, it's not all about you. And that's why I began with the entire story. If you think about the beginning, God created all things. We fell from him. We're involved in sin. We are sinners. Jesus came to reconcile us, and we want to be in that experience of being restored to him in the, in the, in the very end. Now, that's what's important, right? You, you want to make sure you're in that, that last two parts of God's plan, that you've been reconciled to him, and you're going to be experiencing his full restoration. That's what's really important. And then secondly, as we think about living now, no matter where you are in the financial scale, and, and let's be honest here, compared to other people in the world, everyone who lives in America is what? Is rich. You know, we have third world problems. I mean, we, you know, we don't have third world problems. We have first world problems, whatever you want to call it. You know, when our battery on our phone it does not work, you know, the, the, you know, we have to keep plugging in and we just go, why can't that last more than whatever time it is? And you know, there are places in the world they don't have cell phones. You know, when, when we don't like how the food was prepared, if we went to a restaurant, and other people, they don't have or ever go to restaurants. And, and so we have so much more than anybody else has. And, and there's a sliding scale, obviously, in America, but we have so much more going for us than place, places in other parts of the world. And so we need to understand we're not more important to God because our net worth is, is more than other places in the world. Our self-worth is determined by who we have in Jesus. So what's the application? Well, how, how, do we, how do we make this work? Well, if we realize it's who we are not, and whose we are not, what we have and how much we have, the application is be careful not to be greedy, learn to be content, grateful, and generous. I didn't define greedy. Another word is used covet. You know, you can be covetous. 
that's kind of an Old Testament word, is, is when your happiness is always dependent upon getting just a little more or getting something else or waiting for something else to happen. That's, that's when you're consumed by greed and covetousness. When your happiness is dependent upon making the next step financially or acquiring certain things. There's nothing wrong with acquiring things and, and growing financially, but if your happiness is dependent upon that, something is wrong. In fact, they've, they've done some studies on happiness, and America isn't necessarily the happiest place in the world. There are places where people have a lot less that are much more filled with life because they're not filled with all the worries of life. Have you noticed, whatever you buy, you've got to maintain? Have you, have you figured that out? You know, how come, how come you know, we, we have a, and we thank God for it, we have a deck, you know, behind our house, and I'm like painting it every year to, to restore it. I have a eucalyptus tree that's always trying to destroy my deck. And, you know, it's just a nonstop battle, and I prayed that I'd get rid of that deck, or, you know, whatever it might be. It's, whatever you got, you got to maintain, and it's all right, and enjoy it, but look at your happiness can't be dependent upon that. And so, so if right now in your life, your, your life is on hold until you get something else or something more, then you're not where God wants you to be. Sorry to pursue it, but if it's consuming you something, it's desperately wrong. Let me just read a passage here. Philippians chapter 4. And then we'll get to the, the story of the passage real quickly. But Philippians chapter 4. This is, this is Paul's instructions to experience life to its fullest. And you know, right before the passage we'll look at, in Philippians chapter 4 verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Which basically is saying, look, at you, you have the opportunity to be filled with God's happiness, God's joy, no matter what your condition is. And most of you are familiar with the truth is that Paul is in jail at this moment. And he said, look, at just, just realize who you are and whose you are, and just because of that, you'll have joy. But there's some action steps for that, beginning at verse 11. He says, oh, by the way, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I, I'm in. I know how to get along with humble means, and I know how to live in prosperity. And, and that's a clear statement. Whether you have a lot or a little, that's fine. The issue is learning to be content. You don't have to be complacent, but be content whatever you have. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. You think, wow, what's the secret? What's the secret is I'm just as happy whether I have a lot or a little, whether I'm struggling or I'm just on cloud nine in terms of resources. How, how, can, that, how, can, that, how can anybody live that way? And in the verse we all, you know, those who have memorized this verse, quote out of context, he says, oh, what's the secret? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That verse is not to win, you know, score the winning touchdown in the Super Bowl. You know, that, that's not be able to pass a test you haven't studied for. That, that's not that verse. That verse is, I can experience joy no matter what I'm going through. I can do all things, even when I have little. Then sometimes prosperity is the, is the bigger challenge because I'm more responsible to what God has given me. And he said, but I have learned whether I have a lot or a little, I, I can... I can be content, experience joy, and how I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
He goes on. I'll just read the other couple verses that I put in the text there. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Now, the reason I added this in is because how we learn to be content and joyful in the midst of whatever we have is, is number one, we need to realize that we don't have to be greedy. Our happiness is not dependent upon getting more. And then secondly, we need to learn to be content. We can do that through Christ. But the byproduct of that is being grateful for whatever you have. Paul, Paul was grateful for those who supported him. I, I'm, I'm so excited that you, you participated with me and allowing me to keep on keeping on. And, and then from the other part, he said, look it, I, I'm, I'm rejoicing because you've learned to be generous. You, you have supported me in a, in, a, in a sense of generosity. And isn't that true? Have you ever met someone who was stingy that was really happy? But, but, but generous people, I mean, there's a joy in giving. And in fact, it sounds like what Jesus said. It's better to give than to what? Receive. And so when we are grateful and generous with whatever we have, then, then not only does God get the glory and other people get supported, but, but we get the joy of just being part of God's plan. Well, as, as Jesus was trying to drive home the point that, number one, is it's, it's not all, all about what you have. It's not all about money. It's not all about what's going on right now in your life. It's not all about you, which we should always remember that. There's a bigger story, and it's God's story. And, and then second, realize, okay, let's just take a step back. I know we, we live in a world where people who are prosperous somehow get more notoriety, which... Doesn't it, isn't it always surprising to me how whenever they have like Father's Day or Mother's Day, they always pick celebrities? I'm thinking, who really believes they're the best father and the mother just because they're a celebrity, right? But somehow they want to put them on, on, that, on that pedestal. Maybe they are a good parent, but they can't always be a celebrity every year, right? And so people who are prosperous or have fame, they, they, they get a lot of notoriety even when they don't deserve it. But that's not what's really important. It's not how many people know you, but it's who knows you. It's not who you are, but whose you are. It's not about your self-worth. Your self-worth is not dependent upon your net worth. You know, don't, don't be greedy. Don't be always looking for more to get happiness. It's not about what you possess or what, what people think about you. It's about what God thinks about you. Hey, you, you need, we all need to learn not to pursue that which we always, uh, that which we don't have and thinking that's what's where we get happiness. But we need to learn to be content and grateful and generous. And then he tells a story. And he tells a farming story, and we don't probably have any too many farmers here right now, but you could put any occupation here, any occupation, and, and, and including mine. If you, all you have to do is read about some pastors, particularly those in the health, wealth, and prosperity movement. You know, the people who follow them, they're not, they're not prosperous, but they are. You know, they're the ones always buying new planes and stuff like that. Okay, it's just incredibly bad when they do that, but anyway... Let's, let's read the story that Jesus told them after he gave them the principle, beginning with verse 16. And he, Jesus, told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? And by the way, there's, not, there's no commentary here that this, this farmer was a particularly evil man. It wasn't that he had necessarily gained his prosperity because he had done something illegal or 
somehow ruin other people's lives by his prosperity. But he was prosperous. And he said, well, now what am I going to do with my prosperity? Verse 18. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. Then I will say to my soul, soul. This is that self-talk now. Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. The Bible doesn't like us calling other people fools very often. Because really, what a fool is, as Psalm 14.1 says, a fool has said in his heart, there is no what? No God. And this man, who was probably respecting the community and, and people admired him, uh, he was maybe honest as far as his prosperity, but he was self-consumed. He didn't, he didn't ask the question, well, God, what, what do you want me to do with my resources? Is there a way I can be generous? No, how, how can I just keep it all to myself? I'll just buy bigger barns. And God is not against us enjoying what we have, and you're going to see that in your Bible study this week. He's given us all things to enjoy, so what you have, enjoy it. But in the midst of enjoying it, be grateful and generous. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your ship is going to sink to the bottom of the sea after only two days buying it. No, that's not exactly what he said. <laughs> he says, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. What was he saying? Well, you could make your own observations, but you know, one simple one, you can't take it with you, right? You, know, you, don't, you don't fill a coffin with all kinds of dollar bills or bigger, bigger denominations. You, you don't fill it with money, right? Because what, whatever you leave... Whatever you have, you leave completely. You can't take it with you. Now, often when people are placed in a casket, they'll, they'll dress them in their own, one of their own suits if it's a, if it's a guy. If for some reason they don't have a suit, they'll, they'll put a suit on them. And if, if the mortuary puts a suit on it, many of them what they'll do is they'll, they'll put a suit on the, the person in the, in the coffin. And what's unique about the suit they put on is there are no pockets. Because why does that person need a pocket? There's no reason to put anything in the pocket. Because whatever they leave, whatever they have, they leave it all. So you, you, you can't take it with you. So where are you going to spread it? You need to take care of your family, but you want to invest in that which will last forever. There have been many people in this church who have done that. In, in, the, in their trust, in their wills, they... They have set aside resources to continue God's work, you know, through this church and, and other mission churches. And so they decide, not only I want to give now, but I want to give later. Because we, we never know when this life is over, but when it's over, we'll leave a legacy. And what kind of legacy will we leave? And, and so we need to understand, we're going to leave it all, and the question is, where are we investing in? As he just gets that summary statement, so is the man who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, we're not talking about amounts here. We're, we're, we're talking about 
the heart and direction of a life and saying, okay, what I have, what am I doing with what I have? And I think that habit should begin early. You know, when, when you're a, a young person as well as when you're just starting off. God, God wants us to give out of the first of what we have. Because there's always ways to, to use the resources we have, but are we giving to what we have? And, and it, we, we think about that first. Jesus is going into a whole phase of his ministry here. And, and we've, we've heard big truths about Jesus, and now we're going to be hearing some big truths from Jesus. And that was filtered in on throughout the whole gospel of, of Luke. But he gives us some truths about money. And, and really it's good news, because God wants us to experience the joy of being one of his children, investing in that which will last forever. Enjoy what you have. If God is making you prosperous, thank God for it. If God has put you on a lower end of that scale, then thank God that, that he still loves you and you're just as important as anybody else. But, but look at your life. How are you investing your time, your talents, and your treasures? Let's look to the Lord. Father, we want to be grateful people. We want to be generous people. We want to be people who recognize that we have already been made rich in Jesus Christ. And Father, if there be anyone here this morning that is still on the outside looking in, might they recognize that the invitation is open? If we will just, thinking of the ABCs of the gospel, admit our need and turn from our sin that separates us from you. Saying, God, I want to follow you and not my own selfish desires. If we'll be believe that Jesus Christ is God and he, he died on the cross for our sins and rose again and paid the penalty for what separates us from you. And if we then see, commit to follow Jesus as our Lord and our God, our leader and the one in charge of our lives, that you'll forgive us our sin and make us one of your children. And Father, we pray that if there anyone be here this morning that has not made that step, might they make it today. And for us who have made that step, might we just in a fresh way realize that you have given us resources just to be used of you, to, to bless others, to invest in your kingdom. Enjoy what we have, but also be generous as well as grateful. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Simply come